Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. As was mentioned earlier, this is the Sunday which is called the Reign of Christ or Christ the King. It's the last Sunday. Next year is a new year. Happy New Year for the church, church next year. This tradition has been going for only 50 years, but it's, it's well and truly entrenched now. Because each year we look at the challenge of seeing Jesus as the Messiah, Christ, or the King. Today I'm looking at what it means to be a king. And the theme of the sermon is Jesus turned the idea of kingship upside down. Some years ago there was a uh, two-part drama on the ABC about Mary, Queen of Scots, and her son James. The first week was devoted to Mary, who had a pretty rough life, as we know. And the story unfolded how she returned to Scotland to claim the crown that was vacant. This is like those Shakespeare plays of the Tudors and the Plantagenets and all the rest of them. They were busy conniving, killing each other, doing whatever. It was pretty messy stuff. The second week of this series was looking at James, who became James the sixth of Scotland and James the first of England. And surprise, surprise, brutality just kept going when James took the two thrones. Same sort of stuff. Bloodshed, scheming, the lot. But both of those people were rightful heirs. And they had to fight tooth and nail to hang on to even get to their throneship. Because there are plenty of people who wanted to usurp them. Power is very attractive. And there's always someone looking for more power. That, of course, is at the expense of someone else. So history is full of these accounts of this brutality that so often accompanies kingship. And if you read through the Bible, boy, you are certainly chock-a-block with them as you go through the Old Testament. There's plenty there. Rightful heirs like James and Mary had to fight to get to their rightful throne. <clears throat> Other people had to fight and get it. But there was always a threat of people who had no claim to the crown to thinking, hey, that's a good job, I wouldn't mind that. So they do their best to get rid of the rightful person and take over. Because you can't, couldn't go any higher than king or if a woman was in the job, queen. Couldn't get any higher. They were at the top of the pyramid. So there they go. How'd they live? In dirty big houses they call palaces. How did they live? Very well. If you look at some stories of how those people ate, they'd have dinners of umpteen courses. <coughs> so much of that stuff would have gone to the servants because they wouldn't have been able to eat it. They lived well, they dressed well. Come on, I want this, and it comes. They had armies because once you're at the top, you're under threat. So you've got to protect yourself. 
and there's plenty of people coming for you, so what do you have? An army, an army to keep you in the job, an army to try to keep off the assassins, an army to keep the people under control, and if you don't like what people are doing next to you, you think, I wouldn't mind taking that country as well, armies to fight wars. But all this power, all this privilege comes at a cost, not borne by the king or the queen, but borne by the people under their control. They had to remain in this imbalance. They had to be keeping the people down so that they could stay up. It's just a natural routine for a king. That's the norm. So people just had to accept it. Unless they had enough wealth, enough power, enough influence to try to say, I think I'd like that job, I'll go for it. Well, that's kingship. What did Jesus do? He turned that whole idea to topsy-turvy, upside down. So let's go back a few months to the Palm Sunday. <clears throat> Just remember what that was about. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem on his last journey, his final visit. He was well enough known for a crowd to assemble and welcome into Jerusalem. They gave him as triumphal an entry as they could. But how about those people who were waiting for a king who came in on a horse? People couldn't afford horses. Kings could, because they had all that power that had come up to them. Was he in royal robes? No, just ordinary everyday clothes. What did he come on? A donkey. Where was his army? Where was his armor? Now, kings just don't do that sort of thing. What was this Jesus up to? Here he is, work at a clothes, work at a donkey, motley sort of crowd of ordinary people who'd come along to welcome him, or just a sticky beak. So he's already, as he entered Jerusalem, turning this whole idea of kingship upside down. Okay, he gets there. Did he try to <clears throat> somehow get rid of the religious, religious elite? No. He became more and more unkingly as his situation moved on. Well, he seemed, all he seemed to be doing is getting further up the noses of the religious establishment. And that didn't help his cause. He prayed, he contemplated. And then as we hear through the Easter story, the mock trial, the beating, the crucifixion. Nothing in that massive sequence of events was anything like what a king should be doing or what should be done to a king. The quirky little bit about the sign on the cross was the king of the Jews who put that there the Roman soldiers under the orders of Pilate. It was a sick joke aimed at getting at the Jewish religious leaders who were the ones who had Jesus crucified. They insisted on it. But then we hear this wonderful revelation of just who Jesus was from a most unlikely person. <clears throat> Three crosses, Jesus in the middle, convict there, convict there, two murderers. The first of these mocked Jesus. Don't you can say, why, why don't you save us 
as well as yourself. The second one called out, quote, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, how much amazing insight did that man have? <clears throat> he knew he deserved his execution, as did the fellow on the other side. But this man in the middle, he didn't deserve it at all. No way was he a criminal. He was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How about that for divine insight from most unlikely person? I'd like to now read a commentary. I came across it, which explains Jesus' kingship and this crucifixion better than I ever could. So here's another quote I'm reading. One may be excused for wondering why the account of the trial of Jesus is coming at this time of the electionary year. However, there's a real motif that can be traced running through the story. In the political charges brought against Jesus, the mocking of the scoffers, the soldiers and the unrepentant criminal, and in the inscription put over the cross, readers are faced with the true nature of Jesus' kingship. The words of the scoffers ironically pose the paradox of his kingly mission. He is a Messiah who saves others only by not saving himself. Jesus is committed to following his call, which includes betrayal and death. It is in the powerlessness of the cross that him demonstrates the authority that ultimately rescues criminals, scoffers, and religious leaders. Refusing the voices of temptation Jesus then defines for us what sort of king he really is. Jesus, as a king, came not to be served, but to serve. What a vivid way to illustrate that. A king who is crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. End of quote. To me, that's a very telling view, view of the crucifixion and Jesus' kingship. Now we go to the second reading from Paul about from the Colossians. Gives another slant on what this king business is about. So I'll read again the key verses from that reading. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul shows Jesus in a kingly role because he is Lord of all. The two go automatically together. But what's happening these days in societies around the world the people at the bottom are us, the, the masses. We're still at the bottom. We have the least amount of material wealth and power individually. Because who's running the countries these days? Traditional kings and queens live at the top of the hierarchy, as I mentioned earlier. Then below them are a limited number of nobles. Then... As the wealth and power decreased, so the masses of the people were there. That's the bottom. What happens to the kings and queens these days? 
They're figureheads if they exist at all. Most countries have got rid of them. So who runs the countries? Who sits at the top? Not the kings and queens. Their places have been taken by the presidents, the dictators of one sort or another, the generals, the crime bosses, the multinational corporations. They're the ones that sit at the top or pretty close to it and together they run us. That's the reality of life in Australia in 2021. <clears throat> Is it the way of Christ the King? Of course it isn't. Jesus as the Christ was not a traditional king. He'd be very upset to see how things are going, not just in this, this country, the fair go country as it was, because our power imbalance has got more and more apart as the years go by. Those that, with the wealth get more, those at the bottom get less. It's happening here, it's happening in practically every other country. Jesus would not like that. Because he wasn't, as a man, an ordinary man. He was something one-off. He wasn't a typical king. He was, in fact, the living revelation of God. And his main aim in life was to bring God to people. Ordinary people. People who are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. That's what he did helping people to get rid of, if they have it, that sense of social inferiority. So I see the role of any serious follower of Christ the King to do as much as they can to do the same things as he did. Bring him, the living personification of God as he was and still is, into people's lives. That's how a loyalty that we can show as a follower of Christ the King to do just that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you give us a challenge. We like to live the life as we prefer to do it. But sometimes, Lord, we don't necessarily act as loyal subjects. So help us and others to do just that, to serve you by serving others. Amen. <coughs>